Good morning. A special warm welcome to you if we haven't seen you in a couple of weeks, if you've been uh, enjoying it. I trust everybody had uh, a good period of rest, if you managed it, um, that you're ready, you're enthused, you're refreshed uh, for the year ahead. A special warm welcome, of course, to our YWAM team. Lovely to have you guys. I know some of you are upstairs uh, helping with Sunday school, our teens, whatever, but come and chat to these guys. They're very American. They're very nice. Uh, come and have a good chat with them. Um, also, uh, a huge congratulations to Laura and Nick. It's lovely to see you guys out today with the girls and Baby Noah as well. Uh, lovely. Uh, just to welcome Baby Noah into the world and uh, to see you guys back with us. One thing, Tuesday the 7th of February, Christianity Explored launches here in the church. Uh, it's a seven-week course in Mark's Gospel that will explore the basics of the Christian faith. Can I encourage you to have a think in the next couple of weeks about who you could invite there might be a neighbour, a friend, a colleague, somebody that you've been able to have some positive conversations with about things of faith in maybe the last couple of years, um, of who you could invite along to come. It is open-ended conversation. There's no pressure. We let the word do the talking because it is good at that and it's better than me at that. Um, and the worst anybody will ever say to an invitation is no. If you're new to faith, if you're exploring faith, can I encourage you to come along? Um, that's the point of this. And if you just want to see what it's all about, to think about inviting somebody next time we run one, uh, hopefully in a year's time, um, then come along. We open with a meal, uh, there's a video, there's plenty of discussion, uh, and it's just a great opportunity to meet new people and in a really safe space, explore the gospel of Mark uh, and we pray and be praying that whoever and those that will attend will meet the Lord Jesus through his word. Grab me uh, on the door after the service if you're interested. If you are on our app, you can sign up through there for catering purposes. Um, you can type in Hamilton Baptist Church Centre into Google. You can download, uh, you can have a look at our app stuff through there. You can sign up. Or if that's all too complicated, come and have a chat. Our verse of the year then is where we find ourselves. You should hopefully have one of these. You will have either had it on the post, in the post, with a, no, from the Christmas card. You might have been given it on the front. Our verse of the year for 2023, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So let's open the scriptures then at 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read two passages. We're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to read the first seven verses, then we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 5. So if you want to turn with me, it'll be on the screen. Uh, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 from verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in words but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Let's jump then to chapter 5, the day of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the night of the Lord will come, uh, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, uh, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Uh, those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet to the hope of salvation. For the Lord has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to learn from what you said through the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Lord, teach us, shape us, mould us. Give us courage and encouragement for this year ahead through the Scriptures. Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands. Would you take any distractions of this day, of this week, of this month past? Will we focus now upon your word? Amen. I'm going to encourage you uh, when you go home today, tomorrow, whenever, to read this book. First Thessalonians takes 11 minutes for the average uh, reader to read. Second Thessalonians takes seven minutes for the average reader to read. I'm sure we can all find 18 minutes out of our day. But go and read them. They're, they're wonderful letters to a church that is thriving amidst persecution. Um, they're great letters. There's some warning about idolatry for them in here. But in the main, these are letters of just encouragement. And we're, we're going to nail into that today. Encouraged people do better. I'm sure if you are involved in any form of management, you are fully aware of the statistics that revolve around this. But Gallup's survey of 2021 shows that companies with a highly motivated workforce have a 21% higher profitability. Employees that are motivated are 87% less likely to leave their jobs. Employee enthusiasm reduces absences by 41%. And encouraged and enthused employees are 27% more profitable. What these statistics point us towards is that healthy, motivated, encouraging workplaces makes people thrive. It makes people invest and it makes them thrive. I wonder if the same can be said for churches. Do encouraging and encouraged churches build strong Christians? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. I'm not sure I can carry out a similar survey to that, but I wonder how you reflect on periods in your Christian life when you have known great encouragement. I wonder what it is that's contributed to that. 
And I guess that leads us to my title for today, which is uh, Thessalonica, the encouraged encouragers, and then posing that as a question to us as Hamilton Baptist Church in 2023. Are we the encouraged encouragers? Do we know encouragement? And through that encouragement, are we encouraging others? So the question I want to answer this morning is, biblically, what does it mean to encourage and be built up? And we're going to start with this church as our example. Uh, a lot of what we read in chapter 1 shows you why. Who are they? What did they do well? What on earth does that mean for us? Because they're nailing something. They're doing something very, very well. And we're told by Paul in our verse of the year to do as they are doing Part of this is an encouragement to say, well done for encouraging, keep encouraging. But this verse isn't designed to pat us on the back and say, you're really good at encouraging, well done, tick. This is a year off for us because we're doing so well. Let's just go with that. But I want to look at this example of this church to see who they are and what they're doing. So who are this church? Thessalonica is a seaport city um, of old Macedonia, now Greece. Paul and Silas travel here from Philippi, Acts 17 you'll find the story of that missionary journey. Paul goes to the synagogues. He does what he does. He preaches Jesus for three days. Um, Paul displays the most effective form of evangelism. He shares the good news of Jesus. And something amazing happens. Something incredible happens. He preaches the word and people get saved. Jews get saved. Greeks get saved. Prominent women get saved. Amazing. Wonderful. So wonderfully simplistic, isn't it? This brother, this apostle goes, he preaches the word of the Lord Jesus, and lo and behold, people are saved. But there is an angry response to this. There is jealousy amongst some of the Jews. They rioted, they demanded Jason and other Christians, the apostles, are thrown out of Thessalonica. And because of this, Paul and Silas, Timothy, have to leave earlier than they want to. And their letter is tinged with this sense of sadness that they had to leave before they wanted to, because they still had other places to go. Their purpose wasn't to be martyred here in Thessalonica. It wasn't to be thrown out. Their purpose was to go on their journey. So, what is it, after this super encouraging visit, all these people getting saved, what is it that Paul would have to say to them? The first thing Paul says to them in verse chapter 1, verse 2, is he's thankful for them. We give thanks to God always, are we on this? Oh no, sorry, I'm good. Um, we give thanks to God always for you. Paul is a thankful guy. This man radiates gratitude. Once this misguided, self-righteous persecutor of Christians that himself met with the Lord Jesus on that road to Damascus. Instead of being met with the wrath of God, he was met with love and a commission. The commission to take this, to take the good news of the Lord Jesus out. When you hear a story like that, you ask the question, how can this man be anything but thankful? Paul's not just thankful for the grace that he knew. He's, he, he's thankful for seeing it worked out in the lives of others. He's so thankful when he sees the grace of God transform free people, unburdened people uh, to come into God's presence. He knew that every sign of new life could be traced back to the mercy of God. And whenever he saw those signs, whenever he saw that fruit, whenever he saw 
uh, that wonderful reality of new life in the Lord Jesus, he was quick to praise them. And these Christians gave Paul and his companions good reason to be thankful. Because this church not only survived the riots and the persecution, but this church thrived. These people held steadfastly to the Lord Jesus and they grew. They grew in faith. They grew in love. And when Timothy comes and brings this news to Paul, this guy is so excited. He can hardly contain his joy at what is going on in this persecuted church. He's thankful for them. He tells them in verse 3 that he loves them. And this is where we get into the DNA of this church. What is it that this church are all about? And he lists three things for us there. They are marked by a faith that produced works. They didn't have a dead faith. It wasn't a faith that said, I love Jesus, so I'm happy to come to church. It's not a faith that says, I'm happy to do a couple of bits and then I'll have the six and a half days a week to myself. But it was an alive faith. As James says, that faith without uh, works is dead. These believers showed their spiritual life. They were marked by their fruit. When the gospel came to these people, they didn't receive a bunch of ideas. They didn't receive a bunch of things for them to debate about. But the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Their outlook, their way of life, 180 degrees. Radically changed. Radically different. The, the, the true and the living God was the center of the existence of this church. And Paul was thankful for that. Work of faith, we could say acts of righteousness. These were a changed people. This was a different people. This was a people that served one another. They were set apart and they knew Jesus intimately. How? Because they'd met with him. Secondly, simply there, we read their labor of love. This new way of life that they embarked on as they came to know Jesus had been costly for them. Their newfound faith had pushed them to, to labor and to strive for one another rather than a life of leisure. The love of Jesus made them serve one another. Upon hearing and believing, there was a newfound selflessness in them. It made them willing and glad to lay down their lives for one another. These were passionate, God-serving, God-honoring, doing Christians. And their actions were motivated firstly by their love for God, but also their love for others. Do you know, loving an enemy, loving another believer, both of them are expressions of the power of salvation. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. I'm just going to blow my nose. I'm going to take this off. I'll save you the pain of that. This, this word work here, is this idea of deed, this idea of doing something. This word labor here is much more than just doing something, but it's about the effort levels. It's about a genuine straining, a grafting. It is putting in a maximum level of effort. It is agape love. It is the most 
noble and selfless form of love that motivates this kind of spiritual effort. You're getting where I'm going. These weren't a stagnant people. These weren't a slow people. But these were a people that exerted themselves for the sake of one another. And the third thing he thanks them for in that verse there is he thanks them for the steadfastness of hope that they have in the Lord Jesus. You see, we as the redeemed are a people that look back but also look forward. We look forward to the future glory. We look forward to the inheritance that we will one day, the eternal inheritance we will one day receive. We look forward to whatever comes first, the second coming or our time of passing, that we will meet the Lord Jesus. And Paul spends his life teaching and encouraging others how to live in this great hope. Why? Because he's so confident in it. This guy gives up everything to love and live for Jesus. This church knew trial and persecution. There was, the funds were short. This was not a wealthy church. This persecuted church struggled. And Paul's call to them was for steadfastness. His call was endure. His call was persevere. Hold fast to the hope. First John puts it wonderfully. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We're free people, friends. These are free people living out their faith where they are, serving one another, loving one another. This is high praise from Paul. Do you know, if there was a mission statement to this church, it would be something like faith, love, and service. Because that's what they did. They loved God. They loved others. They served one another. Paul loves them because they've been transformed by Jesus. Their lives were, were, were different. They persevered. And I love this picture. And it takes us then to, to that last verse of chapter 1, verse 7. And really the, the, the other point I have today is this, that the encouraged Christian flourishes. Verse 7 that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Others were encouraged because they saw transformation and they saw faith in action. News of the conversion of these people had reached far off lands. It had reached those in Macedonia and Achaia. And they were so deeply, I don't know what the word is, impressed, proud, grateful, thankful for what they saw. That they began to look at this church and think, I want to model myself on this. As Paul calls them to be imitators of him, these churches were looking at this church in Thessalonica, everything that they faced, and said, actually, we, we, want to, we see Jesus when we see you, and we want to model ourselves on you. Because these believers were exemplary. They loved Jesus fiercely, they loved others deeply, and they sacrificed greatly. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells the Corinthians um, to model their giving on the Thessalonians for their financial stewardship. These people were in deep poverty, and it likely is because of their persecution, yet they gave. They gave freely and sacrificially to help the needy in Jerusalem. And here they demonstrate their godliness. They demonstrate fruit. They show others, we love Jesus. And here we have this young church this suffering church holding to faith with such 
joy. So they were a great encouragement to others. They were a great encouragement to the three amigos. They were a great encouragement to us as we read them 2,000 years later. And it leads us then to our verse of the year. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. We've looked at this church, how they were an encouragement to the apostles and others. So what then does it mean for us? What does it mean for us as Hamilton Baptist Church in 2023 to encourage one another and build one another up? I think there's three encouragements as I read through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And they are very, very simple. But I think in in the first chapter in verses 5 and 6, we are encouraged to love Jesus. Verses 5 and 6 read, Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. This gospel, this book is utterly mysterious. It transcends cultures and ages and races and sexes and everything else. It has done so for uh, the last 2,000 years. It will continue to do so because these are not just words on paper. This is God. This is God's stuff we're dealing with here when we open this book. When the scriptures are read, when they're thought of, when they're spoken, they come in power and the spirit with full conviction. And we should treat it as such. This is what we found with this church. That they loved God, that they found the power of the spirit in his word, that they knew this God intimately and deeply. This letter is a letter that says, keep on going. Keep on loving him. Keep on knowing him. Keep on knowing the power and the spirit that comes with his words. He's saying, you know Jesus. You know him already. Keep going. Keep knowing him more. Keep going. Keep loving him. Keep falling more and more in love with him. He encourages them to live for Jesus. 2 verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom in glory. Paul is urging these new believers. He's saying, please live for Jesus. Live in accordance with where and what you have been called to. These aren't aren't demands of a dictator. This isn't a man writing a letter that says, this is what I want, this is what they're going to do so they can be who I want them to be. But this is a brother, an apostle, that wants to see these people earnestly live for Jesus. The gospel's been preached, they've been transformed, they've turned from their idols. And because of this, they've become this special people to Paul. And now it's time to step up. Now it's time to live a life that brings honor to that God. And it's time to live a life that honors his character. We are a people who have been called into his kingdom and his glory. We are a people with the most exceptional of destinations. God has not made us only children, but also heirs. And we are going to inherit his eternal kingdom and share in his glory. Tell me when you meditate on that what else we can do than want to serve that king. 
How else can we want to do anything and surrender everything to that servant king that laid everything down for you and for me? As we know the gospel, as we know the power of it, as we know the spirit and his conviction, how can our lives ever possibly look the same? We the redeemed live lives worthy of the call. Do you know, Paul writes to the Ephesians from prison and he actually begs them to live a life worthy of their calling. Chapter 4, verse 1. He begs them. Friends, this is of the utmost importance. Live a life that honors God. He was desperate for these people to walk worthy of their calling. And he's not just sticking on the massive ethical demands for the sake of it. He's not sticking a bunch of rules on them. But he wants them to live in the new relationship that they have been called to. It's important to qualify all of that just by saying that if you love God, he is pleased with you, that he loves you. You will do nothing and you can do nothing to earn any more of his grace. You have full acceptance and full assurance by the blood of Jesus Christ shed at Calvary. If you hear nothing else today, just hear that affirmation. That you have full acceptance and assurance by the blood of Christ shed at Calvary, that he loves you, that his grace is sufficient for you. We're not doing this. We don't want to live lives worthy of the calling to which we are to impress God. We're not doing this in the hope that we will be good enough for this distant father eh, that actually will never be good enough for. But we are grateful children. And we want to please our Father because he has given us everything. And in that union with the Lord Jesus, we are to live in the power of his spirit. Not in the strength of us and our sinful nature. But this new life that we know as followers and lovers of the Lord Jesus. Demand of us a new way of living. Do you remember being a teenager? Also taught a bunch of them for a few years. We like rule books as teenagers, don't we? We like rule books because we kind of want them to use them against God to be like, God, this stuff sucks. Like, what is this? I don't like this. Like, you're not fair. I don't want this. And then as you come to, to, to understand and know, I'll qualify that with saying I didn't know the Lord Jesus at that point. But it looks at times abstract. We don't like it. We don't think it's fair. And then you come to know the Lord Jesus. And then you realize that all of this stuff starts to make sense. This isn't abstract, ethical demand to live for God. But this is, you know the God that has saved you. Live for him. And thirdly, simply, then encourage to love one another. Chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. Paul was desperate to return to these guys. He was desperate to go and see them. He loved them. And as, as much as he wanted to go, I think on a personal level, he wanted to go because he wanted to see them continue to grow and thrive and excel in the things of God. And his prayer in this is that Jesus would cause their love to increase and abound, to overflow more and more. Ephesians 5, Paul calls us to live a life of love. And I think the Christian life is 
about learning to love well. At times, learning to love the people that we like and love can be easy. Forgiveness is difficult. Resolving conflict that is broken is hard. But God is a God of restoration. He is a God of redemption. And his encouragement to us is to encourage and build. Not tear down and break, but encourage and build. Because godly people are a forgiving and a reconciling people because that's who our God is. I don't know if that speaks into any circumstances that you face in your life. Forgiveness is hard. Reconciliation is difficult. But godly people are a forgiving and a reconciling people. Godly people have strife with no one. Grievances with no one because they understand that the Savior paid the price for the strife that we cause him that is greater than anything we could ever possibly face. And might this year be the year that broken relationships are restored, that forgiveness is extended, and what seems broken beyond compare is made new. <coughs> Encourage one another. Build one another up to love, to love Jesus, to live for Jesus, and to love one another. What do these three things look like? Love Jesus. Listen well. Listen well to the proclamation of the word. Meditate on it. Come to church with hearts that are ready to listen, to hear what God might be saying. Study well. Read the scriptures. Get to know God more and more. Let us read consistently of our Savior. Let us read together. Growth groups, they start on Wednesday, by the way. If you aren't plugged into one of our small groups, um, come and chat to me on the door. We'd love to, or speak to Hugh on base. We'd love to get you plugged into one of our small groups. Read with those in your house, spouses, kids, whoever it might be. Read with them. Make it part of your household routine. Speak to one another. Don't spend Sunday lunch not talking about church, about what we've learned this week of the Lord in our own readings. But let's normalize Christian conversations in, in everyday chat. Let us encourage one another, be honest with one another. Brother, how is your walk with Jesus? Brother, what are you struggling with today? I wonder when the last time was you were asked that question. Difficult questions to be honest about, aren't they? But vitally important questions. This, obviously not exclusively, will encourage us to love our Lord Jesus, pray. Spend time in his presence. Get to know this Savior more and more. That is how we will love Jesus more. Live for Jesus. Let us take everything above. Let us take everything we know of Jesus and let's put it into action. There's no such thing as an unfruitful, mature Christian. They don't exist. Because mature Christians are fruitful Christians. May our speech, our conduct, our action, everything, all of it, show our love for Jesus. And in that, might we encourage one another in that as well. And let us be encouraged to love like Jesus. There are so many examples in Scripture. Let's be hospitable, always ready to serve one another. Let us be forgiving, let us be reconciling. Because this gospel message is reconciliation to the world. Let us go out of our way to serve one another, especially the least and the lost. Friends, this is what it means to encourage one another and build one another up. 
Would we as a community be marked by as people that encourage one another to love Jesus, to live for Jesus, and to love like Jesus? It's interesting. I don't feel like we've had a lot of time to reflect this year. We did a little bit last Sunday um, on New Year's Day, but it feels like we've just fired straight into this new year, that it's now full steam ahead all the way into 2023. We've not really had that opportunity to pause and reflect on this last year. But I wonder at this point next year, as we reflect on 2023, how we'll reflect on this. Will 2023 be the year that we are encouraged, encouragers? May this year be the year that we flourish because we love Jesus and we know him and we live for him and we love like him. Let's pray. God, what grace you extend to us. What overflowing, lavish grace you pour over us. Lord, help us know you more. Help us know you closer. Help us fall more and more in love with your son, the Lord Jesus. Recognizing what he has saved us from, what he has done for us. And Lord, would our would our lives and our church be marked with utter gratitude? Would our lives be an overflow of our hearts, grateful, abounding in love because of who your son, the Lord Jesus is and what he's done for us? In your name I pray. Amen.